This is Hannah with the Blue Stocking Baptist Podcast. Esther and I are celebrating one whole year of podcasting, and we want to celebrate by giving away three copies of Pastor Flip Michael's book, Five Hath Truths Addressing the Most Common Misconceptions of Christianity. This book is the topic of our episode today, and if you'd like to win this book, the rules of the giveaway are to go on our Facebook page. It ends on October 23rd at midnight, and we will announce the winner on October 24th. You must share the posts that we have on Facebook, like our Facebook page, The Blue Stocking Baptists, and tag three people who you think would like this book. Try to tag someone who has never heard of our page if you are able, or even an unbeliever if you think they may be interested in learning more about Christianity. For every three people you tag, it will equal one entry. For an extra three entries, share the podcast episode on your wall and tag us in it. Thank you, ladies, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the Blue Stocking Baptist Podcast. My name is Hannah Oliver, and I'm here with my co-host, Esther Faulkner. Esther and I are both particular Baptists who hold to the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. The Blue Stocking Baptist Podcast is an informal podcast for women with intelligent and literary interests related to Christian doctrine and life. Esther and I both have a passion to see unbelievers come to the faith, and so we hope our material will be used for the furtherance of God's kingdom. We also have a passion for equipping women with the tools they need to exercise discernment, and we desire to see more women understand and love the deep theology that is found in God's word. On today's episode, we're interviewing Flip Michaels, author of Five Half Truths, Addressing the Misconceptions of Christianity. He is the associate pastor at Grace Life Church outside of Hershey, Pennsylvania. Before entering full-time ministry, Flip worked for 20 years in the broadcast industry. He and his wife, Missy, have three daughters. Flip, welcome to the show. We're glad to have you join us today. Hey, thanks, ladies, for having me on. By the way, love the name, Blue Stocking Baptist, and the history with that, too. Uh, okay. Appreciate being on the program. Glad yeah. to have you. Thank you. So before we jump into the interview about the book, uh, Flip, will you tell us about your time in the broadcast industry and what led you to full-time ministry at Grace Life Church? Sure, absolutely. I can give you my story a little bit. Um, before I do that, let me just say too that uh, I really appreciate what you guys are doing and have listened to a couple of your episodes, particularly uh, Reagan Rose, because I know him, and uh, Brandon Kimber as well with American Gospel. Love both those episodes. Highly recommend them for anyone who's listening. Um, hey, some background. So I uh, let me just start where it's important here. I married out of my league. Uh, mm -hmm. To my wife, Missy, 24 years. We celebrated on Monday, and we went to a gun range. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> we always wanted to do that. We'd never done that before. I know that sounds weird, but uh, it's what we did, and uh, we had a great time. We have uh, four beautiful teenage ladies, 14, 16, 17, and 18. Uh, we have a 17-year-old from Korea, and we have an 18-year-old who's a junior in Harrisburg University. So she's real smart like her mom. And I usually tell people, hey, I'm surrounded by ladies, so please pray for me. <laughs> uh, I, I spent, the, as you said, the past 20 years in broadcasting. 
And it was all in the Northeast, uh, from New York to Washington, D.C., to here in Pennsylvania. Uh, great experience. Got to do everything I ever wanted to do. And it started uh, in radio pretty much as a disc jockey, uh, moved into management, ended up having the opportunity to manage a radio station in Washington, D.C., where I met my bride. Uh, she was from Pennsylvania. And so we kept visiting this area and fell in love with it and was privileged to work for an NPR outlet here in Harrisburg and ended up working there longer than I ever worked in any other radio gig, and that was for about 12 years, and uh, had the privilege to do some TV, some uh, uh, news media, um, uh, uh, statewide news media, a number of different opportunities, some writing, and so, uh, yeah, I'm so grateful for that opportunity in broadcasting. Uh, again, I got to do everything I ever wanted to do, work with some fabulous people. Awesome. That's awesome. That's really cool. All right, so to kind of jumpstart into our interview, I just wanted to read a little bit from the description. So according to the back of the book, for your description, it says, there are many types of lies, but perhaps the most dangerous and deceptive of all is the half truth and manipulative distortion of truth. It sounds convincing, but is uh, destructively distant from what is true. Flip Michaels tackles five half-truths that are commonly used as arguments against the validity of the Bible, Christianity, God, Christ, and faith. He clearly and engagingly unveils the whole truth and explains why understanding the whole meaning is crucial. And I really think you accomplished that in the book. I really enjoyed the book myself. Thank um, you. And we, uh, I think Hannah and I were both really impressed on uh, the praises that you got and mm -hmm. uh, from the book, um, Hannah, who was it again? Uh, Justin Peters and um, Nate. How do you say his last name? Pickles. Yes. Yep. <laughs> uh, that that was really encouraging to be able to flip open and see that those people before us had read the book, um, and then Phil Johnson, of course, doing your foreword. And even the recommendations are really good. I'm like, I'm excited Aww. to read this book because, I mean, it's it was a really good book. I literally had to try to find my book because I've been bringing it with me, like in my purse places. It's really, I've really been using it a lot. So, Aww. and I've wanted to give it to a couple of different people who I think it would, would really benefit from. Even my husband, he's not a really big reader, but when I had gotten it in the mail, he was like, what is that? Like this book that I just got, The Five Half-Truths. He's like, I need to read that book. I'm like, honestly, I think that you'd really like it. So, You, you both are very, very kind. I, I definitely uh, am privileged to uh, have relationships with a number of those individuals. And, and uh, you guys know this well because you're avid readers and how important it is when you pick up a book to turn it over and look at the back and see who endorses it. That matters. Mm -hmm. And so it was very important to me whose names would be on there from the lead pastor I serve with to men like Justin Peters that uh, I'm privileged to even be able to call a friend. So mm -hmm. yeah, it really is important. And, and especially when you write a book like this and it's your first book, uh, to have a Phil Johnson read it. And uh, you know, you send him the manuscript and here's a man who's had an impact on, on my personal ministry and certainly through Grace to You and John MacArthur as well. And uh, you're like, okay, he's got it in his possession. He's going through it now. What's he going to find? And he's not only willing to endorse it, but write something for it. Yeah. Um, yeah, you, you're really humbled by those opportunities. And the same with the Justin Peters or a Kent Hughes or a Nate Pickowitz, these kind of guys. 
love them, appreciate what each of them do. So we're just going to get right into some questions then about your book. Uh, we've sure. already kind of talked about how much we love your book, which is true. Um, so, but the first question that we have for you is what inspired you to write this book? Well, as I um, often say related to the book, you know, it is my personal testimony, but without me in it until the very end. And uh, it, it's something that um, these half truths I experienced first, I had used them in this way. Uh, early in my broadcasting career, uh, I, I was 24, and there was this disc jockey named Barbara who was labeled as our resident Jesus freak. And I had been warned from coworkers not to engage her in any kind of um, truth-seeking debate. Now I'm a New Yorker, so that only encouraged me to do that. And um, I began to challenge her with these half-truths. And so uh, Barbara would push back, and she was just a tremendous example. She is a tremendous example of someone speaking the truth in love. Mm. And so I would say things like, uh, the Bible was written by a bunch of old men. And I would say that to somebody, and they would usually uh, step away. They wouldn't engage in that conversation. And she was just the opposite. And so obviously, that's my first half truth. The Bible's written by uh, men, and the whole truth is it's written by men and inspired by God. Mm -hmm. And so I would go to uh, Matthew 14 was my favorite example I would use with people of Jesus walking on the water. And I would say things like I wrote in the book where, hey, you know, 2000 years ago, it's a beautiful day along the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is just going for an early morning walk. I mean, he could take a selfie. It was just beautiful. And here uh, he's skipping stones on the water. And as a product of the telephone game, you know, the telephone game, we all get in a circle and we say something and we share it with another and with another. And we do that. And before you know it, it becomes something entirely different. Now, 2,000 years later, he's walking on water instead of just skipping stones. And so I would push back in that way. And it was uh, Barbara who would um, gently, um, but firmly as well, uh, she would challenge me. And she challenged me to read it for myself. So she kept pushing me back to the Word of God. She gave me my first Bible. I still have it. Uh, and uh, I can remember those days of sitting on my front porch on Long Island. Um, I'm in Hershey, PA now, outside of Hershey, PA. And uh, I can remember reading Genesis and the Gospel of John and just being sucked into the truth, the absolute truth, and learning it for myself. So that's really where the book came from in and of itself. Uh, and then uh, also this idea of what we struggle with today. I mean, we all struggle with half-truths today, right? I mean, it doesn't matter what realm we get into, certainly politics, uh, media, in the workplace. It's commonplace everywhere. And I kept coming back to something J.I. Packer had written. Uh, he has a statement which really is the premise of my book. And his statement is this. Again, I mentioned in the book, it's a half-truth masquerading as the whole truth becomes a complete untruth. A half-truth masquerading as the whole truth becomes a complete untruth. Mm -hmm. And so that was the premise in which my book was written upon. And so while, again, it doesn't mention me until the very end, in many ways, my personal testimony how I came to faith in Christ. I was using these half-truths to deflect any real consideration of the whole truth. Hmm. Man. That's Thanks amazing. I know. I was just thinking the whole time, praise God for Barbara. <laughs> like, man. I have a story with that. I was talking with uh, Tom Askell. I was actually, we were at a retreat. You guys know who Tom Askell is. And, uh -huh. uh, and uh, we actually all had dinner together. And I was telling him this story. We were going back and forth across the table. He goes, uh, have, you, have you talked to her? I said, you know, I haven't, I, I don't even know where she is on the planet. Like I've searched for her, I haven't found her. 
He goes, you know, you should put something up on Facebook. I went, eh, Facebook? He goes, no, I'm telling you, you should do it. So uh, he goes, I'll help you. I'll, I'll share it. We'll do that. So uh, a week or two goes by and I go, okay, I'm going to do this. So I, I put her, I put something up on my, uh, on my timeline and within 90 minutes, she was tracked down. Oh, wow. Amazing. So uh, I now know where she is. I've reached out to her. We haven't gotten together yet, but I thought, how cool would it be for us to connect all these years later? She has no clue that I'm a pastor. She does now. She has no clue what, what really influence she has had, how God used her in my life. So I want to encourage her. I want to connect with her. So we're looking forward to that day. That's amazing. Yeah. That is so amazing. <laughs> Very cool. All right. So our next question for you is, um, what did you learn by writing? Wow. That's, that's a really good question. You know, um, I've always loved to write. Uh, even in my broadcast career, I was writing. I, I had a column in Billboard magazine for a while, and uh, I did some writing for the Wall Street Journal online. So I had neat opportunities like that. And then getting into the ministry, I was doing some writing, too, uh, in different various trades. And so it was a really good experience for me. Um, you know, when I was in seminary, uh, you do a lot of writing. And uh, just like reading, writing is a muscle that mm -hmm. you have to really work out. And so once you get to a point where you're kind of in shape, if I can say it that way, uh, you don't want to lose that, right? I mean, you have seasons where uh, you got to take a break or you get sick or whatever, and you, you can't exercise as much, but um, you want to keep that going. And so it caught, it taught me really some of the discipline of staying a good writer uh, in ministry. Some of the best uh, preachers and teachers I know who are in ministry are pastors who have that discipline of writing. They, I, I, I go to the pulpit, uh, not with a full manuscript. Um, I'd like to go to the pulpit with a little less than what I do, but I go to the pulpit with a lot. And those notes are tremendous for me. Uh, my teaching notes are very much the same way. So I, I, I guess in one way I could say to you in writing, um, it's just really part of who I am now. In, in anything I, I do, I, I typically have some kind of notes. Even us talking right now, as you know, we've talked about prior to hitting the record button, I have some bullet points here, some notes to make sure I actually get it right. So that's one part of it. The other part of it is that, uh, you know, this is really a God thing. Uh, this is not about my name. It's about his fame. Mm -hmm. And so to, to see God use this, uh, to have Christian-focused publications pick it up was just, they were at the top of my list. They were my number one uh, publisher that I had wanted. And um, I honestly, in praying about this with the Lord, I, I really thought, this will be something that the Lord's going to humble me in. It'll be three years of shopping around. I'll probably have mm -hmm. to pay somebody to get five copies and then send them to my family members, and that'll be it. <laughs> and instead, uh, Christian Focus uh, said yes. Uh, and awesome. uh, I was just thrilled with that. And then as we've talked about the people who have supported it, including uh, in my local church, uh, the, the lead pastor I serve with, the elders, um, and dear brothers and sisters there. And then, you know, honestly, uh, emails you get, interviews you do, people you connect with where you find, and it's the word, it really is the word of God, that it's touched people's lives in a certain yeah. way uh, has just been um, very humbling. Uh, God doesn't need to use me. Uh, he can use anyone, uh, the powers in his word. But just to be a part of that, the joy that you receive to, to, to see God's word go out and in some way, only by his grace that you're faithful in some way. 
uh, is very humbling. So for me, it's just been a really neat ride. I'm, I'm sitting here with popcorn and I'm just enjoying the ride and watching God at work through his word, right? It's his word. If yeah. his word wasn't in the book, then it would be meaningless. It yeah. really would be. Um, and so uh, I'm just grateful for the journey, honestly. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> so who is this book written for? Uh, my prayer has been that uh, it would really be aimed at two groups of individuals, quite obvious, but one would be unbelievers, mm -hmm. uh, that they would be um, challenged to consider the authority of Scripture as well as the exclusivity of Christianity and, and Christ's claims that are made uh, in the gospel, in the gospels, and and also towards believers that they would be encouraged and and edified by uh, what they read on its pages, perhaps even placing a copy in the hands of someone they're evangelizing or they're discipling. I've mm -hmm. heard it being used in Sunday school classes, received some new note, neat notes uh, from people across the country and even across the world. I mean, this was released in the UK first, and that's really exciting. It's been used in men's groups. I just came back from a men's retreat based on it in uh, Williamsburg, Virginia, and that was really exciting. Um, I know of individuals that have used it just meeting over coffee. Mm -hmm. um, for conversation. So really towards unbelievers and believers, I just hope that uh, God will use it. Yeah. It is such a great book for both those groups. Like, cause the entire time that I was reading it, I just kept thinking, I need to get this book into the hands of um, a longtime atheist friend of mine who actually just recently I'd gone to a wedding and hadn't spoken to him, to him for five years. And he told me that um, he's had a change of mind on abortion, which was very surprising and, mm. um, that he wanted to apologize to me for basically standing against me in that. But I had given him a Bible through a different friend about three years ago. She met with him in person and, um, he accepted it really well, like received it really well and told me at this wedding just recently in August that he had started reading the Bible and, um, he was at a place where he was willing to challenge his own beliefs. And I was so floored. I, I literally thought I was going to cry on the spot when he was telling me mm. this. My husband was standing next to me and praying while he was talking because it was just such an answer to prayer to see this man who I've been praying for for almost a decade to just have any kind of softening of heart. And so while I was reading this book, now that we're talking again, and he added me on Facebook again, I was like, man, I think that this book would really benefit him. And so I've been in meaning to reach out to him and ask him if he would let me buy him the book. But I think this book is just amazing. And I don't know who wouldn't benefit from this book, both unbelievers and believers, because it's such, I think Esther was the one who said it's like a little mini apologetic book because it's just the basics, but the basics in such a way that you can't argue with it because it's just laid out so simply and so articulate and with love. It's just a great book. I just wanted to say that. <laughs> I, uh, it's, uh, thank you. I'm, I'm speechless when you say something like that. So uh, to God's glory for that. It is all to God's glory for that. Uh, it's because it's his word and his word yeah. is indeed alive. And, and I know this is your hearts as well, but I've, I've heard you guys say things uh, very similar on your podcast. But, you know, our aim is to get people in the word yeah. and to see that as, as the authority for their life. And to, to see God as he truly is. And uh, so we, we try as best as we can um, to direct them that way. And in particular, my book, The Gospel of John, more than anything. But um, yeah, it, it, you know, it, it is hard because we're dealing with these individuals in our lives 
and and it's not it, it really is a marathon it's not a sprint and so uh there are individuals that come to mind when you start dealing with some of these subjects to see if they really will in the quietness of their hearts they will sit and truly consider it without mm -hmm. the drama of um uh debate and uh um uh half truths that are out there and and uh, just uh, slinging mud back and forth and really will just take into consideration some of these serious truths that um, frankly, um, I mean, people do argue, that's the internet today, but mm -hmm. um, really uh, it is the whole truth. It is God's word. And, and it is so compelling that um, obviously um, by his grace, uh, his saving grace, our eyes are open to it and, and it's irresistible. Absolutely. So we want to read some of our favorite quotes from the book. Um, I would say that my favorite chapter was the first one, the half truth being the Bible was written by men. And then you get into the full truth, but it was inspired by God. Um, and on page 30 through 31, I could just read the whole thing because it's literally Aww. my favorite part of the whole book. But I just love what you talk about the original documents and um, just the um, reliability of the Bible, that it is trustworthy, that it is true. Um, and I love what you wrote about how, um, the Bible has a 99.99%, what is that accuracy claim for, mm -hmm. um, for the amount of copies that we have. And I like that you had said about Homer's Iliad that it comes close with over 1,800 manuscripts and a 95% score. And if you believe in the legitimacy and reliability of the writings of Sophocles, Caesar, and Plato, then you've also got to acknowledge the authenticity of the Bible. To reject one is to reject all others. What choice does the intellectual have but to affirm the authentic authenticity of the Bible? And I just, I love that last sentence because so often people reject the Bible because they view it as if you're a Christian, then you're stupid, you're uneducated, you're, you aren't an intellectual to accept the Bible. You must, you must be crazy almost. But yet here's Homer's Iliad, which only has a 95% score. And the Bible has a 99.99% score where it, it can't be rejected historically or, I mean, it, if you reject it historically, then you're the one who's the fool and history is against you. But it's just, that was just so incredible to me. And I've been thinking about that a lot, um, especially because I'm, I'm teaching at the women's retreat for my church at the end of the month. And I'm speaking on um, the authority of God's word. And one of the women I was talking to, she's like, really think that you need to say something on this subject. And I was like, you know what? I have the perfect book <laughs> for it. So I've just been, I've been referring to this a lot and thinking about it a lot to the point where I now understand it in a way that I can tell someone else without even having to refer to your book. So that would be my favorite part of, of the book. You, you said it better than I wrote it. So th thanks for that. Um, it, it really is, uh, it, obviously I wouldn't have included it if I didn't think it was, but it is very powerful when we talk about the uh, authenticity and even the accuracy of God's word. And uh, while um, I am presuppositional in many ways and have no trouble supporting scripture with scripture, and I do, uh, I think evidentially it is very uh, encouraging for a believer especially yeah. to look at those truths because uh, what what we have there, God has given us that evidence. He's allowed that for us to uncover. So you take somebody like Plato, Plato, 
Plato, who is quoted all the time. Yeah. And I think that's 13% or whatever it is. I can't recall off the top of my head, but it's somewhere around that. And then you look at the 5,700 New Testament copies we have in hand, and it's just, it's um, overwhelming. It's it's yeah, it is overwhelming. Absolute overwhelming about amount of partial manuscripts and manuscripts. And it just destroys any other historical text. And yet people still, still reject it. It's just amazing to me. It just blows my mind. <laughs> so, so it causes us then, right, to say, um, look, this argument of authenticity, you've now been armed with the truth. Mm-hmm. So you need to take that off the table. We have other areas of discussion we can have, but this, this is accurate. This yeah. is, this is authentic. So that's, that's not an issue anymore. Um, we need to move past that because if you're going to recognize uh, Caesar, uh, mm-hmm. you're going to need to recognize scripture for it being accurate. You can't, you can't use the argument of the telephone game. You got to take that off the table. Or reject everything. Those are your only options. I mean, even the first thing that an ex-Mormon girl who I was discipling had really struggled with was that question. Cause that's something that the LDS church says that the book, the Bible is written by men and was distorted and there's key missing truths. And that's why the gospel needs to be restored. And that was a really big deal for her. And she had done all the study on her own. We've interviewed her in the past and she came to a place where she's like, well, the Bible is authentic. And then the next question was, but is the Bible true? And that's where you can start to get into actually exploring the truth claims that Jesus makes and is he really the son of God or not? Like, and you deal with all that in your book too, but it's just the way that you even set up your book. It's like the, this step and then, okay, on to the next one. And then slowly you can't, (laughs) you have to repent and believe that's where you're left with. (laughs) Amen. Amen. And you know that honestly, I, I get asked every once in a while, you know, if you could only go with one half truth that you would, you would talk and attack, what would it be? And it would be this one. And the reason why is because everything else hinges on that. Yes. So, um, you know, uh, I mean, they're all powerful. They're all important. We're, we're talking about Christ. We're talking about God. We're talking about Christianity. We're talking about faith. But the Bible, the authority of scripture is going to be so important in this. And so honestly, you're right. I mean, it is, it builds on one another and you have to keep coming back to this because you've got to remind people, look, this is the real thing. I know you guys probably heard this illustration before, uh, it's kind of worn out in our culture, but it's a good one. You know, the Secret Service, they, they study the real thing. When, they, when they're looking for counterfeits, they don't study all the counterfeits first. They study the real thing. Yeah. And that helps them spot the counterfeit. And so we want to go to the real thing. We want to go to the B-I-B-L-E. We want to help them see that this is truly God's word. Amen. Right. All right. So my, um, <clears throat> I have two quotes that I really, really liked. Uh, my first one was from the chapter uh, dealing with the half truth. God is love. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked how you handled the, like that claim, that initial claim of God is love. And you didn't, you know, I'm just going to read the quote real quick and then I'll give you my thoughts on it. Um, and just, just saying from somebody who was a literature major, the book is really well written. So these, this quote that I'm about to give you, like, I love these sentences together. It's very well written. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, can't, I can't say that about yours because my English is horrible. <laughs> so 
I gotta, I gotta stop and just tell you before you read those two things on that. One is I remember in middle school my English teacher telling me I should never write. I was not a good writer. And so when the book got published, I almost I don't even know if she's still alive, but I almost wanted to send it and go, ha, look, I can write. You know? And the second the second thing is that um uh my editor uh who went through this book uh had never gone through this process and so uh solid guy and he's going through it and I'm going, Okay, is he gonna change anything huge? Because then I'm gonna have a concern. Or is he gonna look at this and go, This guy can't write, what's going on? <laughs> and um he made some minor suggestions that um, just were incredible, that just taught me to be a better writer. So uh, when you make, when I, I appreciate the praise, but there's, there's people involved in that process that it got to where it is. All right, so here's, here's my first favorite quote. He said, as the mantra goes, God loves me just as I am. We need to see this interpretation for what it really is smugness a self-centered individualistic view which disregards the fall of man and dilutes god's uh, constitution into something unbiblical and ineffectual it has become a form of philosophy that perverts the nature of god for the sake of one's own personal pleasure and like i said the reason why i really like that quote is because it, it i feel like it says exactly what i think of whenever somebody says, well, God is all loving or God is love. He doesn't care if I, you know, if I sin. And the way that you, you describe that, that philosophy, I thought was uh, very gripping. And it even made me, you know, I, I wish that I could memorize it in order to, oh. to say that whenever somebody says that. Um, I think it, you, you cut it straight to what it is. And that is a, a perversion of really what God has spoken. Um, so uh, thanks. Thanks so that. much, Esther. Esther, I really appreciate what you've shared. And, you know, it is very true that, or I wouldn't have put it in there, obviously, because it's something I feel strongly about. Uh, to say that God is love uh, in today's culture, it's an issue of semantics because words change in meaning uh, over time by how they are used. Uh, some uh, will take that God is love and, and just uh, attribute it to, hey, that means that I can live however I want to live. And so they, they take the word, uh, the biblical word love, and, and honestly, the scripture says God is love. He is love. But they, they don't uh, account for the fact that he is also holy. He's holy, holy, holy. As a matter of fact, every one of his attributes are holy. Holy meaning set apart, meaning uh, there is none like it. It's, it's as high as you can go. So his mercy is holy. His grace is holy, right? His, his goodness is holy. His justice is holy. And certainly his love is holy. And so today, uh, you know, we, we have words that uh, we use that really aren't what they truly have meant. Like you take the word I use in the book, fundamentalist. That's a scary word today. It used to be a really good word. Uh, you know, it meant that you believed in the fundamentals, but you don't ever want to get an airplane today and be called a fundamentalist. That's not something you want to do. And so the phrase God is love has been sanitized over time to insinuate that a loving God could never be a judging one. And what I do is I go to one of my favorite passages um, uh, that R.C. Sproul is the one who kind of pounded this into me uh, through his book, uh, The Holiness of God, which is just tremendous, mm -hmm. but is Isaiah 6. 
and uh, where Isaiah is confronted with this vision of the holiness of God. Yep. And it's only when he's confronted by who God is that he truly sees who he is. Mm-hmm. You know, a God awareness leads to a self-awareness, a true self-awareness. And so he has this response in Isaiah uh, 5, Isaiah 6, I'm sorry, verse 5, where he says, Woe is me, for I am, unru- I am uh, what does he say? I a am man ruined. of unclean lips, too. Right? Yeah, and, and it's just amazing that uh, what he's confronted with is the holiness of God, and it brings him to a point that he sees that, look, uh, God's love, uh, I'm summarizing it here, but it's, it's a holy love. It's a love like none other, and it's rooted in the cross of Calvary, of course. And so uh, we don't want to take that lightly, and we certainly don't want to use it as some prescription to live in a, in a way that minimizes sin in, in any of our lives, mm-hmm. any kind of sin, any kind of sin. We're not just talking about uh, sexual sin. We're, not, we're, we're talking about all kinds of sin here. We're talking about the whole swimming pool of sin and minimizing that and saying, well, God loves me. He just wants me to be happy. Yeah. All right. And then my second quote that I really, really liked, it was also from the God is Love chapter, uh, where you get to talking about um, the sa- how saving grace is a gift. And you say, saving grace is a gift to be received, not earned. And when it is opened, the genuine believer finds God's everlasting forgiveness and mercy inside. It can never, ever be taken back by the giver. There is no expiration date. It's shelf life lasts throughout all eternity. Mm-hmm. And I really, really liked that quote because as a Christian, it was really encouraging to me to find that encouragement to a believer or to somebody, you know, considering the cost of following Christ that once, once God has changed our, our heart of stone to a heart of flesh and we trust in Christ's work alone for the gospel or for, for our salvation it's it's not something that we have to worry about doing you know doing enough wrong to where we evoke the gift or we lose the gift it's wholly and solely on Christ's work and it was just really encouraging to find that quote more so as a as a push to persevere um, and i found that really encouraging that you could do that in this book thank you that that was one of my heartbeats in putting it in there because uh, just personally I don't always feel saved. Uh, and if I went by my feelings, one moment I'm saved, one moment I'm not, uh, because I'm a sinner saved by grace. Yeah. And I need to be reminded, and, and certainly I wanted the readers to be reminded of the assurance of salvation that we have in yeah. Christ alone. Uh, nobody's able to pluck us out of the hand of our Heavenly Father. Uh, if our salvation is real and it is genuine, we are His. We are His uh, for all eternity. And what a glorious truth, what a promise that we to like none other and uh, we certainly need to be reminded of that as believers and encourage one another with that as the, as the day draws near amen amen can you guys hear these crazy crows i bit. get hints of it once in a while <laughs> they are like so remember how i told you my neighbor put that dead crow in her tree yeah <laughs> this is a side note so the <laughs> the crow is no longer in her tree there are 14 crows over in her yard and i think they're over there because they know that she hung up that dead crow she'd hung up a crow in her tree to scare off the other crows and it didn't work all it did is the crows came to our yard and just like scott or what is it like like at her yard what is it can you do that again no i'm not gonna do it again but now now they're all over there like 
fighting with one another. And I'm like, what is happening? So I apologize. I'm like holding my microphone so that it doesn't pick it up. But it, it sounded like birds. It didn't sound like crow to me. So I think you're fine. It is, it is some angry crows across the street. I'm like, man, those crows are not happy. I'm like praying, Lord, let, like, shut these crows up and then go away. But anyway, okay. Sorry, Esther, I think it's your turn. I just wanted to make sure that it wasn't picking up too badly. But <sighs> So, Flip, what I really liked uh, also was basically the basic structure of the book. Mm -hmm. How in each, for each uh, half-truth, the five half-truths that you deal with, you give a very clear um, uh picture of what a half truth might sound like. It might not always be, the person might not, not always say the Bible is written by men, or they might not say verbatim, all religions are the same, but you kind of explained how that might work out um, in a person's life if they don't use those exact words. So you really clearly paint a picture of what the problem looks like, and then you give the whole truth, uh, which I really, really liked, and then you gave a little bit of like application with your, your whole meaning. So like, how would that play out in our lives? How would that play out in the lives of somebody who's, you know, considering following Christ? So I really, I, I really appreciate the structure of the book in that sense where you, you clearly deal with the problem, the complete truth, and then how that applies. I thought that was very valuable to the book. And I also, uh, sorry, go ahead. I also appreciated that the book was not 400 pages either, or, be, or also because oftentimes when you are trying to evangelize someone and you're like, read this book, read this, read John, like even to get them to just read the whole book of John is asking a lot and people don't want to do it because they don't trust the Bible and they don't believe it to be true. And they're like, I'm not going to spend four hours <laughs> reading John. Right. And so to have this super short book that it's like, look, John is true, <laughs> so you should still read John and to really encourage people to actually be in the Bible. And I love that it's short because I just know so many people who would not pick up a bigger book or don't like to read at all because a lot of people in our society today don't read at all. And so mm -hmm. to have just a very short book that is concise, that is, it's clear, um, it gives practical application and it's it's a great book. So, oh, thank you. Hey, a couple things. One is Tony Ranke is the guy who I think would teach us well on how people are reading or not reading. He's just done a tremendous job in writing different books, even on social media and phone yes. usage. And, and um, uh, we do live in a culture today, sadly, that does not read. We're lazy. And um, uh, it's a muscle that has to be used. And mm -hmm. so, um, we do want to challenge people with reading and, and get them into reading and certainly the word. Um, but it is, it, it means a lot what you're saying. It really does. I'm not just saying that to you because uh, it helps me to know how the book is being received. Um, that's probably a little bit of John MacArthur in the way it was laid out. And the reason why I say that is because in my commute, when I lived in Washington, D.C., there was a time where I was commuting almost two hours each way. And uh, this was cassette tapes time. And I <laughs> I, I consumed everything from uh, Grace to You and also Master Seminary. And I, I always remember MacArthur talking about the implications of God's word and that application is what you do when you go home. 
And so I always wanted to make sure that I was in writing, I was laying it out in such a way that you, you would understand what the implication is, and then you would recognize, okay, now when I leave, this is how I have to apply it. I have to apply it in a certain way. So you just validated that for me. Thank you. That means a lot. Yeah. You're welcome. Now there is a cat in the tree. <laughs> and the cat is chasing the birds to the top of the tree. I'm sorry. I'm so <laughs> distracted. Hannah, you know what you need to do is you need to leave this in the podcast and give us a play-by-play. -play. So like every once in a while, you need to just come back with, let's give the front porch report. The Hannah, front porch report of the, of the Christmas. What am I saying? I'm seeing six crows at the very top of this tree with a full-size cat climbing up the tree, irritating them and... I just, it's amazing. <laughs> I'm Hannah Oliver. Now back to you, Esther. Now back to you, Esther. This is just so and, silly. And then we're, then we're going to go, hey, um, you know, I think in Alabama here it's a little warm, but what's it doing <laughs> in the West here? Let's go to Hannah on her front porch and see what she has to say. I think it's 36 degrees. How are you doing? It is. Oh. It's 36 degrees and my hands are cold. <laughs> So silly. <laughs> All right. So um, just to kind of give a little bit of a, a sneak peek of, of what uh, half-truths that Flip really deals with in his book, I'm just going to uh, briefly go through those. The first one is that the Bible is written by men. Um, probably hear this a lot. Uh, written by a bunch of old men. Uh, just human authors uh, flip actually deals with that and and adds to that that half truth uh, which we know is uh, that it is inspired by God as well as written by men the second half truth he deals with is that all religions are the same uh, flip would add and as a sort of rebuke to that idea except Christianity all religions are the same except for Christianity mm -hmm. the third half truth uh, that he discusses is that God is love. We talked about that one a little bit. Uh, of course, God's love has to be paired with his holiness. So Flip adds on to that half-truth, God is love and holy, holy, holy. The fourth half-truth is that Jesus is truly a man, which is, of course, a half-truth because we know that Jesus is truly a man, and Flip adds, and truly God. Uh, we see that. He, he discusses very uh, in-depth into the, the hypostatic union and, and that dual reality that God is man and truly God. And the fifth half-truth uh, that he tackles is our good deeds matter uh, and pairs that with when preceded by faith. Our good deeds matter when preceded by faith. When they're not preceded by faith, they don't amount to a hill of beans. So uh, we, we, that's just a little bit of a, a sneak peek of what the book is about and uh, how Flip deals with, with those half-truths. Um, and, and lastly, just to, Hannah's got a question at the end that we want to we ask Flip, but I wanted to share another quote from, the, towards the end of the book, you kind of give uh, an explanation of the purpose of the book, what inspired you to, to, to write the book, and I think it perfectly kind of summarizes our conversation today and then the book as well. You said, 
Everything I said in this book was intended to fulfill two objectives, to present Christ rightly through the scripture and to plead for your repentance earnestly in this brief window of time we have together, end quote. And I think, Flip, you did that uh, today in our conversation, uh, in our interview today, and as well in the book. So just, I hope that's an encouragement to you uh, and that you would continue on and, and be faithful. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. I do. Anyway, I'm going to close it up. I just have one quick question before we end. Um, since we talked about the five truths, my husband had brought up uh, when I told him that we were going to interview you today, he said, ask him if there's a sixth half truth. And so we want to know if you have a sixth one. If you don't, it's okay, but it got <laughs> asked. <laughs> you know, honestly here, there are uh, probably, uh, there are many half truths uh, concerning Christianity, many and I guess if I were to preview a sixth half truth, it probably would be that God, God speaks today. Ah, and he speaks yes. Today through his word would be the whole truth. See, that's a good one. That is a good one. That's like, <laughs> that's our corner. <laughs> that's like the stuff that we like to talk about. Okay, but that's mine. You can't go running with it and selling it. And I'm just kidding. You know, but that, I think that's really, you know, that it's probably, um, that we go more by our feelings than we do truth. As a matter of yeah. fact, we go even further than that. We we will go to our feelings first instead of scripture. I, I can remember teaching on angels and demons, and, and I have somebody pull me off off the side when the class is done and saying, you know, I was confronted by a demon in my kitchen this morning, and I'm going, okay, well, we need to look at first what scripture says yeah. is possible before you just start giving me your feelings and your, what you think are your experiences there. And, and um, that experience could be true, but you have right. to confirm it with scripture. And I mean, that was something that Esther and I talked about in our very first episode was subjective or subjectivism versus objectivity and mm. how you could be sitting in church. Cause I just re-listened to our episode uh, since I'm talking about it um, for the women's retreat. And we had said something like, you're sitting in church and you're listening to your pastor and your pastor says something that absolutely upsets you. You're so upset. You hate what he says and you go home. And instead of going to scripture to test what he says, you just leave the church or something. Mm. And you're like, I'm never going back. I didn't like what he said. Instead of being like, well, maybe what he said was true and going to scripture and maybe it isn't true, but you can't know unless you take your feelings back to the word of God and see what's really, really said there. And yeah, that's a topic that we've actually been wanting to do a, a misused verse episode on the verse of my sheep hear my, ver my sheep hear my voice and follow me because that's used a lot in defense of that half truth of God speaking to me today because I'm his sheep and so I can hear his voice. So anyway. I wholeheartedly agree with what you just shared and, and uh, it, it is um it is a problem both uh, outside and inside the church today. Um, and all of these come back to the point of discernment. Mm -hmm. um, we live in a culture today where, uh, again, as I started out with, we're apathetic, we get lazy, and we hear these things often enough that we allow them to frame our worldview. And I'm not just talking about somebody who is a, um, uh, an unbeliever. I'm, I'm talking about those who profess Christ, that we allow... Uh, portions of these, these half-truths, because they, they are partially true and they sound good, uh, that we have churches that um, uh, promote, we have uh, 
uh, urban churches that are uh, standing with politicians who are uh, advocating killing babies. And uh, these are Christians, um, or they profess to be Christians. And, and I mean, that's a, a very raw and real topic, obviously, mm -hmm. separate one. But um, on, we have, I mean, we're, we're talking about the Church of America standing behind the issue of abortion as an example, because we're not discerning, because we're, we're not going to the word of God first. We're allowing, in that case, emotions, feelings. Uh, mm -hmm. to take over by some slogan that sounds good, um, but we're not going to the facts. We're not, we're not really doing our homework. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. So just to end on that point then, um, Flip, we really do appreciate that you were willing to come on our podcast. Um, I know that Reagan was the one who, I don't know if he told you about us or what happened, but. He did, he made the connection and I'm grateful for that. Reagan's a, a terrific guy, as you guys know. Oh, he's um, awesome. His, uh, his um, uh, podcast is excellent. His blog is excellent. Um, uh, he's as anal retentive as I am in discipline of time <laughs> and management. And, and uh, I got to meet him for the first time at the Sing Conference here in Tennessee with my wife not too long ago. Uh, he's, he's a great guy. I appreciate him. I appreciate him making this connection as well. Yeah, just such a, a providential thing. Because, I mean, we didn't even know Reagan. Reagan, his um, his his blog post on what we interviewed him about loveless discernment was something that just had both convicted us. And we're like, you know what? We want to interview him. And that's kind of what happens with Esther and I, we, we get something and we like it. And then we're like, how can we find this person? <laughs> we want to interview them because we like it and we want other people too. So uh, we really do appreciate that you had come on um, and for just your faithful presentation of the gospel in your book and we believe that the five half truths is truly great tool for Christians, both in their own lives and um, with discipleship. And I mean, you had shared all the different ways that it's been being used. And it's such a unique tool that can be used in so many different arenas with people. And so Esther and I would just encourage you, um, if you're our listener, to get this book. It's a small book. It, if you're busy, you'll, you will be able to make the time to read it. Um, it only took me a couple of days to finish it. Same with Esther, um, though we read a lot. But for us, it was only a couple of days. And um, yeah, everyone needs to get at least one copy for themselves and one copy for a friend. So it's very good. <laughs> so put that in your budget. <laughs> But just as a reminder, uh, we believe that everyone is a theologian and you are either a good one or a bad one. Our hope with our podcast is to stir in women a love for good theology and to encourage women in their faith as they walk in obedience and grow in holiness. We want to remind everyone that our podcast is only a tool. It is not church and it does not replace discipleship. We encourage all of our listeners to find a local church and become a member. We have resources on our website for those who are seeking a church, and we are always happy to help anyone who is struggling to find a healthy church. You can email us at thebluestockingbaptists at gmail.com or find us on Facebook at the Blue Stocking Baptist or on Twitter at SheBaptists. We also have a Patreon if you'd like to support us financially. Thank you again, ladies, and God bless. <laughs>